What if I told you that there's a discipline that if you embraced it, could change your life? You'd probably look at me and you'd say, well, Jake, tell me what it is, because I want to do it. And it, it would be a little foolish of us this morning to ignore a discipline with such benefits, right? We've been in a series over the last few weeks that we've been calling Follower, and we're talking about the seven marks of a disciple of Jesus. It's the seven uh, things that we think mark the life here at Mountaintop, that, that mark the life of a follower of Jesus. And we intentionally didn't rank those seven things because we think that each of them is integral and essential, essential to living a life as a follower of Jesus. But if I had to choose one to encourage you to embrace over all the others, I would choose this one. I would choose engaging scripture. And it's not because I think it's more important than the other ones. It's because I, I believe that this book can change your life. And I believe that if you begin to engage with this book, the other six marks of a follower will naturally, organically come out of it. Worshiping passionately, serving joyfully, loving radically, giving generously, praying fervently, making disciples. All of these things are habits, natural habits that come out of a healthy engagement with scripture. If we haven't met, my name is Jake Davis. I'm the media and teaching pastor here at Mountaintop. And let me just tell you, I'm thrilled to be preaching to you about the word of God from the word of God this morning. Uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I was going to get coffee with a friend. And I pulled out of the church here and I was going down 31 and I saw a young man, maybe in his 20s, walking down the street. And he wasn't dressed for the occasion. It was 90 degrees outside and he had khaki slacks on, penny loafers, and a button-down, kind of like this one. And he was drenched in sweat. And he was carrying a three-gallon pail of gas. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to be late for this uh, coffee meeting. So I pulled over, and I um, got, he got in the car with me. I said, hey, let me, wherever you're going, let me just take you there. And we drove uh, just about a mile and a half down the road to Walmart. And as we were driving, I just said, hey, man, uh, I'm just curious. How did you get here? Like, wh what happened? He's like, well, I ran out of gas. I was like, well, that's, that's pretty apparent. The, kind of, the, the pail of gas kind of gave it away. But I was like, I mean, like, how did you get here, though? Because how many gas stations did you drive by before running out of gas? And he was like, I couldn't even tell you, man, hundreds, I'm sure. And I was like, well, why did you just drive right past them if you knew you needed gas? He's like, well, I just got caught up in what I was doing. I was just busy, and I was just going on to the next thing, and so I just ignored it, and I just blew right past the gas stations, ran out of gas. I begin to think that we kind of do this in our lives, right? Like it's obvious to us that we're running on spiritual fumes. In fact, like the, the, low, the low gas, low fuel indicator went on miles ago. We're just ignoring it and we're blowing right past gas stations. I believe that scripture is the fuel for followers. It's the fuel for following Jesus. And oftentimes I think we just blow right past it in life. A lot of us are like my, like my friend that I picked up on the side of the road. We're just like 10 and two, gotta get to the next thing and we're just bearing down and we're just ignoring that warning sign 
and we just never turn to scripture. I think the problem for, for a lot of us is that we haven't considered this question. This is their question for us this morning. What is the role of scripture in your life? I think often we misplace the role of scripture in our life. And as I go back to that analogy of my friend in the car, I think like, well, I think some of us, I think some of us, scripture is kind of like the music on the stereo. It's just like, it's a nice background noise in our life. Like we know all the greatest hits. And when the chorus comes along, we can like kind of sing along because we memorized a little bit of it. We taught it as a kid. We have our favorites, right? For some of us, I, I think that it's kind of like the navigation app on our phone, right? Waze or, or whatever you use, Google Maps. When, when you, like, you need direction in life. And you're, you're making a decision, you're going to make a choice to go this way or that way. And so we like pick up the Bible. We're like, what does it have to say about the decision I have to make? I, th- I think for some of us, we, we kind of see it as our car horn, right? Like just yelling at people as we go through life. Whack, whack, you know? That's just what the Bible says. Get out of my way. <laughs> I think for some of us, it, we kind of see scripture as like the guardrails on the highway of life. Like, this is how you live your life. This is what to do, what not to do. Here's the rules. Stay on the straight and narrow. Still, for other of us, I, I think that scripture is kind of like the billboards as we drive by. Like, well, when something speaks to a need that we have, we're like, oh, yeah, I think I'll go there. Yeah, I think I'll, like, I like that. I like the way that sounds. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, 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 that really speaks to me right now in the moment I'm in. So I'm going to take that. We're just like consuming scripture as it is convenient to us. But we never really stop off for a full stay. Then I think still some of us, we, the role of scripture in our life is kind of like a, a bumper sticker on the back of our car, right? Like we have a Bible. Everyone knows that we're Christian, right? Slapping on the back of the car so everyone knows we're a good Christian. But once we put it there, we just kind of forget about it. So what is the role of Scripture in your life? And what is the role that Scripture is supposed to play? Well, Scripture tells us. And so we're going to turn there this morning to our text because this is how Scripture defines itself in 2 Timothy 3.16. This is how God intends for you to use Scripture. This is the role that God intends Scripture to play in your life. It says this, 2 Timothy 3.16-17. Because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. This is what it's to be used for. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that, in order that, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the role of scripture. The role of scripture is to train us and, and rebuke us and correct us and teach us and to equip us for every good work. <clears throat> Let me just stop here and talk about one of the excuses that I hear all the time. And, and, and to be honest with you, this is probably the excuse I use most prominently in my own spiritual life when I'm not reading scripture. God, I still have the time. I'm busy. And like, as I think, or as I really think about that, I'm like, is that true, Jake? Like, is there some kind of like time police that I'm not aware of 
that is uh, demanding to use your time in a certain way? Because listen, we don't, have a lot of, we don't have control over a lot of things in our life. But there is one thing we have control over, and it's how we use our time. And I'll just be honest with you, I use my time to do a lot of meaningless stuff. Like I scroll on social media, I follow my favorite sports teams, I'm on YouTube a lot, just ask my wife, probably watching a video about board games or something, because that's my hobby. But it's like all meaningless in the grand scheme of things. But yet, I ascribe worth to that meaningless thing by investing my time in it. So the question for us this morning is how much worth are we willing to assign to scripture by the time we invest in it? We have an opportunity to to use our time to say we think scripture is worthy of our time. And listen, maybe for you this morning you're like, Jake, I'm I'm being truthful though, I don't have time. It's such a big book, it's a little overwhelming, it just doesn't fit into my life. Can I just say then, well maybe it's time to make time. Maybe there's something that needs to come off of your calendar in order to put scripture on your calendar. What is it in your life that needs to stop consuming your time so that you can start consuming scripture? I promise you the return on investment with scripture is much more than whatever you're wasting your time on. It's time to make time for scripture, and it's time to stop messing around when it comes to this mark of a follower. But here's here's another problem that that I think think keeps us from engaging with it, is that we don't really know what it is. Oftentimes I think we we think scripture is is something it's it's not. And we're we're like, so what is scripture? What is this book? It's like, it's massive and ancient, and it's not even one book. It's like a collection of books, and they're all telling different things, and some of them contradict with each other, and I don't really understand what this is. And so we approach it in in all the wrong ways. See, see, I think a lot of us, we come to scripture like searching for direction, or or trying to just gain more knowledge, or, or, or even like guarantee our happiness. But that's not what scripture's about at all. I mean, those things are here, right? You'll, you'll get direction, you'll gain knowledge, and, and I, it'll tell you all about joy. But that's not the purpose of this book, right? We don't come to scripture just to get directions or, or gain knowledge or guarantee happiness. We engage with scripture to be formed. We engage with scripture because we want this book to form our lives. We give it the place of authority in our lives to form us into the character of God into the person of Jesus. This book has the power to form you if you give it that position in your life. Because engaging scripture, it's really not about attaining knowledge. It's not just stuff in our heads full of knowledge. And it's not about answering your questions. It's not about like, I have a problem in life. Does scripture say something about it? I'm sure it does, but that's not the purpose of the book. And it's not even about alleviating your pain, right? This isn't just something we go to as like a therapist. Engaging scripture is about being available to the transforming work of God. Every time we open this book, we are proclaiming to God, God, I'm available. Will you speak? Will you change me? Will you transform me? Because you see, the Bible, it's not a textbook. It really makes a terrible textbook. I mean, if you're like coming to this book for the answers, 
uh, to the test, you're not going to find them. If you're coming to this book just to gain knowledge, it's really not what it's intended for. And, and it's not a guidebook, right? It's not just something you come to when you need to know what to eat for lunch or who to marry or how to parent. I mean, there are certainly wisdoms in this book that help you make those type of decisions, but that's not the purpose of it. And it's certainly not a self-help book. This isn't a book about like, hey, I just want to be morally better. I just want to be better at life, so I'm going to read my Bible. That's not the purpose of it either. At its root, this is a story. From, from the first page in Genesis to the last page in Revelation, it's a story. It's the story of God. It's a story that reveals to us God's character. And it invites us into it. And here's why I think this is important. Because I think stories form us. I think we're formed by the stories we tell and, and allow to be told to us. And so when God's story, the story that he's been telling for generations and generations, when we allow that story to, to have a place in our life, we begin to realize Man, maybe I have a place in that story. And I really believe that the place where God's story and your story intersect, that nexus point, is really the beginning of discipleship for you. That's where you're going to unlock your purpose and your potential and your future. It's right there where God's story meets your story. And you'll realize, I have a role to play in this story. God wants me to join this story. And that's why it's so important that we use the correct lens when we're looking at this book. And it's important because it's the story of God, and it really it does three things. En engaging scripture is about encountering the living God. And notice I said living God, because 2 Timothy says all scripture is God-breathed. I don't know if you've ever met a dead thing that was breathing, right? God's alive. It's about encountering the, the living God. And, and, and this, this living God, he, he wants to speak to you, right? Literally says that God breathed these words into existence. And additionally, engaging scripture is about the revelation of the person of Christ and our need for him. It's not just about encountering the living God. The whole story points us toward the revelation of Jesus Christ. The climax of the story is God sending his son here to earth to die for you and me so that we didn't have to bear the weight of our sins anymore, but we could accept his saving gift of free grace. That's the story. And so when we encounter Jesus in this book, we also come face to face with our desperate need for him. And then finally, engaging scripture is about being transformed. It's about being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and then allowing that transformational power to equip us to live righteously. See, when we open this book, we are encountering the Trinity, the living God, Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit who has the power to change us. Second Timothy, again, it says, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This, this is not your job. When you read scripture, you don't do the training and rebuking and teaching and correcting. Scripture does that to you. You don't do the equipping. Scripture does that to you. The Holy Spirit does that to you. This is why we engage scripture. 
because we encounter the, the, the Trinitarian God here and it changes our life. Somebody like Jake, that's, that's great. But I just need to know how to do it. I'm on board. Like, I, I want to engage with Scripture. But it's intimidating. So, so how do we do it? And so I wanted to give you some practical tools to walk away with this morning. Some, some, a framework for engaging with Scripture. And I'm the son of two pastors. They're here this morning. And so you're just going to have to forgive me. I, I did an acronym, okay? Now, I, the reason I did that is because I want you to be able to remember it. Because I want you to really apply this discipline. I want you to take these six letters and I want you to take these six steps and I want the, you to apply them in your life. And like, just give me, just give me like 10 days. 10 days of applying this discipline. And I guarantee you, it'll change your life. Not because this formula, this framework is, is magical. There's plenty of frameworks for engaging with scripture. But because I believe this book is powerful enough to change your life if you'll just engage with it. So this is, this is how we begin. When we come to the word of God, we enter the text with prayer. We enter the text with prayer. We humble ourselves before God, and here's why this is important. Because we're human, and we're flawed. And if we come to scripture without praying first, we are gonna be tempted to manipulate it to say what we want it to say. And so we have to ask the Holy Spirit to strip us of our biases, to remove our desire to abuse it to say what we need it to say and to support our agendas. We need to allow scripture to begin to strip us of our pride so that we can see with new eyes what God is saying to us. And so we enter the text humbly with prayer, praying that God would, would reveal himself to us, that we would meet Jesus there, and that the Holy Spirit would transform us. And then once we've prayed and we've done that really important work, I really believe that fervent prayer that we've talked about earlier in this series and engaging scripture, they really go hand in hand. They're married to each other, and they find their power in each other. When we pray fervently and engage scripture at the same time, God moves in our lives. So once we've done that really important work, then we, then we, then we move towards the text and we notice the context of the passage. And this is really important because I can just, this is such a big book, I can just like pick this spot. I'm like, I'm gonna apply that, I'm gonna apply that verse to my life today. That's certainly a strategy, but there are some verses in scripture that if you did that with would make pretty crummy ways to live your life because it's a story and you just ripped that verse out of its context and used it for what you wanted to use it for. And so in order for us to faithfully interpret scripture, we have to understand the context of what we're reading so that we don't misuse it, all right? So let's just do, let's do, let's do this this morning, all right? Will you, guys, will you guys humor me? Let's just do this with the text that we're in this morning, okay? We're in 2 Timothy chapter three, right? What is this? That's a good question to ask when we start. Like, what is this? Why are we reading this? Who is Timothy? What is going on? Who's writing this? What is it for? I don't even know what this is. These are all good questions. And they're really easy to find because they're right here in the Bible. So what is this? This is, this is a letter from Paul. It's not even written by Timothy. It's just called Timothy because it's a letter written to him. It's written by Paul. But how do we know this? How, how do we know this? Well, we turn to the first chapter of this book, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and this is what we see. 
verse one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, right? So it establishes this relationship that they have. Paul is teaching Timothy. Paul's, uh, Timothy is a disciple of Paul. Paul's one of the missionaries of the early church. And so why, why is this important? Because, because Paul is, these words that Paul is writing to Timothy in this letter are the words that Paul deems necessary for Timothy to be a good leader and to lead a life that is faithful to Jesus. And so we should hold them with a little bit more weight. And what kind of, what kind of context is Paul writing these into? Well, well, Paul tells us at the beginning of chapter three, he says in verse one of chapter three, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So Paul is writing to Timothy, one of his disciples, and he's saying, hey man, you're about to lead your church through a pretty tumultuous time. And here's how I think you should conduct yourself in the last days. And let me just tell you a little bit about the context you're walking into. And y'all tell me if this sounds a little familiar to you. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Can I get an amen? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do, Timothy, with such people. So this is the context that Paul is trying to address with his text, his letter to Timothy. Here's how you should conduct yourself, Timothy, in the midst of these circumstances. And so for, when, for us, when we bring our context into this passage, we're like, well, that kind of looks like the context I live in. So maybe this is for me too. This is how I should live my life in the midst of this context. It changes how we read it, right? But it keeps going from here. It says, you, however, know all about my teaching. Timothy, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering. See how these are the inverse of that list above? And what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? If you really wanted to keep studying, you could go find out what happened in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and it would enrich your understanding of this passage because you would see what Paul is referencing, the different missionary journeys he's taken, and the persecutions that I endured there. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we had just read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we would have missed all this. And you don't think this verse, I mean, if we'd read that, we'd be like, man, this Christian life sounds great. It's like all hunky-dory, no problems, no issues. In fact, everyone who wants to live this godly life will be persecuted. Changes the tenor of what Paul is saying to Timothy and what the word is saying to us this morning. And Paul continues and says, all evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See how the context just gives us a richer, more full understanding of what's going on here. And it helps us to more faithfully interpret what Paul is saying. And now he encourages Timothy, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Well, I don't know those from who Timothy learned it, and what is this whole thing about infancy? Paul's obviously referencing something, and again, we can go back to the beginning of Timothy, and Paul tells us in verse five of the first chapter, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And so we get to learn a little bit more about Timothy, right? That from infancy, he was raised by powerful, strong women of God who took scripture seriously, and they were concerned with passing it on to the next generation. And so for us this morning, women, 
you have a role to play in helping us as a body of Christ value scripture. Moms, as you raise your children, you have a role to play. You can pass on a legacy of honoring the sacred scriptures to your children. Women in our church, you have a role to play. We would have never known any of that if we wouldn't have looked at the context. And you might say, well, Jake, that's great, but uh, I'm not as smart as you. You've got all these degrees. I've, I've almost one degree. And let me just say something about my degree. I'm about to finish it. It, and this pains me, it means nothing. It means nothing. And when Carter stands on this stage with his multiple degrees and Ben Cathy stands on his stage with his multiple degrees, they mean nothing when it comes to how we approach scripture. Because listen, your, your level of knowledge about scripture has no effect on the power of scripture in your life. You can never re- read a Hebrew or Greek word in your life and the scripture will still transform you. The worst thing that could happen is you walk out of this room today and let your fear and your insecurity about this overwhelming book keep you from reading it. That's what Satan wants. But listen, I believe in you. You can do it. And more importantly than that, I believe in this book. And I believe in the Holy Spirit that can generate it to affect change in your life. But I do want to give you some practical tools to engage with it, all right? So listen, if you've never even picked up a Bible before, all right, let's start here. On your phone, version app, right? Just search Bible app, it's the first one that pops up. It's a great resource. It will read the Bible to you. You don't even have to read it. It'll read it to you. And then you're like, I don't know where to start. Okay, they have daily reading plans and it'll start you wherever it wants you to and you just keep, you follow that daily reading plan. It checks in with you every day, sends you a devotional in the morning and then a reading at night. It's really easy. And if you don't, if you don't have a phone, which is weird, and you don't know how to download an app, that's okay, biblegateway.com. All right, on the interwebs, biblegateway.com. We live in the most richly resourced time in our history. There's no excuse for not engaging with scripture because the tools are right there in your pocket. And, and, and I'm serious about this. If you, if you don't know where to start and it's still overwhelming to you, listen, email me. Jake at mountaintopchurch.com or find my email address or find me in the atrium afterwards and we will start reading together. We'll start a reading plan together tomorrow. I'm serious because I care about this book and I know that it can change your life. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, I, I can't speak highly enough of a group called The Bible Project. All right, these videos are online, they're a free resource, and they're incredible. Theology is incredible, and the way that they understand the story of Scripture is incredible, and they'll walk you through books of the Bible. They also have a podcast, and, and they'd walk through a book of the Bible through the whole season of a podcast, and it'll enrich your understanding of Scripture. There's a series on YouTube called Look at the Book with John Piper, and he walks verse by verse, inductive Bible study, word by word, teaching you faithfully how to interpret Scripture. There's two apps called She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth. I'm not sure why they had to separate them by gender, but they did, and it's great. I have the He Reads Truth app on my phone, and I use it every day. I love it. I love how it uh, it uses devotional and commentary to to enrich my understanding of Scripture. And if you want to go even deeper than that, and you want to begin to study the original languages and some of the cultures behind what's going on in the text, Blue Letter Bible and Olive Tree Bible app. Blue Letter Bible has an app, and they, they have a website, and commentaries, cultural word, uh, documents, uh, interact with the original languages. But listen, just, just begin to engage with it. And I want to give you um, more of this framework now that you have 
the tools. So now that we've, we've had the context, we've gathered our tools, now we take this next step and we allow these three questions to like guide our study. So guide our study with three questions, all right? Guide your study with three questions, and here they are. What does this text reveal about God? What does this text expose about humanity? And how should we respond? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? And then how do we respond? And so let's, let's do that for our text this morning. What does 2 Timothy 3 reveal to us about God? Well, first it reveals to us that God is holy because it says that his scriptures are holy and if he spoke them into existence, then he must be holy too. So our God is holy and God's word is holy. They're to be sacred and set apart and they have ultimate worth but also that God is concerned with our righteousness, right? That he would, give us a, 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 he would give us a tool to live righteously. He's concerned with us living righteous lives. And only that, he's living and active, right? God breathed, this is him breathing into our lives, this book. And so he, he's not just this, this God that cares about our righteous activity and then like removes himself. No, he gets involved, he participates in our righteousness. He gives us a tool in order to live righteously. And then finally, our God is a God who saves, right? The scripture says that this book is capable of giving you wisdom for salvation. So our God is a God who saves us from ourselves. So then what does 2 Timothy 3 expose about our humanity? Well, let's read that passage at the top of chapter three again. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. All of this list, and it keeps going, it says uh, they'll be without love and not lovers of the good. And then it keeps going, and it says they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Love, love, love. Paul's obviously trying to make a point, and what is it? What does it reveal to us about humanity? It's that we, as humans, have a tendency to misplace our love. We have a tendency to misplace our love. And so if that's what's true about humans and that's what's true about God, that God is holy and set apart and we have a tendency to misplace our love, then how do we respond? Well, we respond by recognizing that what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that scripture is the anecdote for our tendency to misplace our love. Scripture is the anecdote for the human tendency to misplace love. This is how we begin to get back on the path of righteousness. We engage with scripture. Or, or said another way, engaging scripture empowers us to rightly place our love in God and then equips us to live right lives. So we rightly place our love back on God and then the scripture transforms us because of that love into righteousness. This is, a, this is a little diagram of kind of what Paul is trying to, to say when he, when he says teaching, rebuking, uh, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is what he's trying to say. Anyone who teaches knows that the majority of teaching is just trying to keep your kids on track, right? So when we talk about the word teaching, what Paul is referencing here is someone who's gotten off the track of righteousness. Scripture is useful for teaching that person to, 
to recognize that they're off the path. And then at a certain point, if they keep going the wrong direction, there's a moment of reproof. Scripture is useful for reproof, rebuke, right? But scripture doesn't just leave us there. It doesn't just condemn us. It doesn't just say this is how you're living incorrectly. It then corrects us and shows us the correct way to live. But then it doesn't just leave us there without a way to know how to apply that correction. It trains us in righteousness. And then this training in righteousness ultimately ends up in equipping us for every good work. And you see how this cycle of scripture becomes the way that righteousness begins to be a part of our habit, right? When, when we're not living the right way, we test it against scripture and it teaches us the right way and it reproves us and then it corrects us and then it trains us how to get back towards righteousness until we're ultimately equipped to do the good work that God has for us. That's the power of scripture. That's why scripture is the anecdote to misplacing our love. Paul warned Timothy though. He said, everyone who wants to live this godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. And here's why this is important. Because what Paul is trying to say to Timothy is like, man, you're going you're gonna to go through a lot in your life. And you're going to have all these circumstances and tests and trials, and you're, and you're going to even be persecuted for your faith. But I'm encouraging you. I'm, 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 I'm exhorting you. Stay connected to Scripture. Even in the face of whatever circumstances come your way. Because Paul knows that scripture is the fuel for us to continue the righteous life in the face of all circumstances. It's the fuel that keeps us going in the face of whatever this world throws at. So let me encourage you similarly to how Paul encouraged Timothy this morning. Never exchange the breath of God for the things of this world. This is the very breath of God. Please, don't sell yourself short. Don't exchange it for just the things of this world. Because Paul describes all of those things to us at the beginning of chapter three, and, and, and this is how he kind of, this is what he says. He says, listen, the allegiances of this world are like shifting sand. But if we make scripture our home, we will have everything we need to maintain a firm foundation in righteousness. That word that Paul uses for continuing to learn is, is literally the word to dwell or remain in Scripture. So if we make Scripture our home, we'll have a firm foundation in righteousness despite the shifting sands of this world. That's what this Scripture's about. And so now that we've done the work of asking those three questions of Scripture, we move on to the A, and we just say, we ask the Holy Spirit to transform us. And I refer to this as like a prayer sandwich, right? You pray to begin and you pray to end. You invite the Holy Spirit into your life and you say, Lord, would you now use what I've learned to change me, to form me into the character of Jesus? Rip off the parts of me that aren't like you and help me apply this text. And then get accountable. Listen, we believe that engaging scripture happens in your personal life. But we also believe that it happens in the midst of a group. 
and we have new group signups coming on August 22nd, I would encourage you to get in a group and begin doing life-on-life work with people where you're walking through life together and engaging scripture together so that you can join each other in this work of allowing scripture to teach you and rebuke you and train you in righteousness. Get accountable. It's easier to do things in groups than it is to do on your own, isolated from, from scripture. Value scripture together. And then finally, embed the word in your life. And here's the thing about things that are embedded. They're hard to get out and they leave a mark. And that's my prayer for us, Mountaintop. That's my prayer for us as a church. That scripture would become so embedded in our life, in our DNA, and in our heartbeat that it would be hard to get out of us. And that it would leave a mark so that when we walk out of these doors into the world, into the spheres of influence that God has given to us, when people look at us, they see the mark of scripture on our life and they see right through us and we, just like scripture, reveal Jesus Christ to them. And through us, they have an encounter with the living God because of the authentic way that scripture has authority in our life and and begins to transform us. Not just for us, but for the world so that they might know, so that they might join this mission, so that they might be trained and taught and rebuked and corrected and then equipped for this good work that we do together.